Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hiring, even with the Federal Reserve fighting inflation. It's doing that by raising interest rates 11 times in the past two years. But right now, Leland Vittert is taking a look at what we can learn from the body language of Trump and Biden. Should be interesting. On Balance with Leland Vittert is coming up in just a few moments. I'm Elizabeth Vargas. We'll be right back here, same time, tomorrow night. I hope you will be, too. On the program tonight, pay up. Your car options now come with a monthly subscription fee, what you're going to be paying for heated seats every month. Despite record high temperatures this summer, airlines won't turn on the air conditioning. Several passengers and a flight attendant exiting a Delta flight by stretcher. Why Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg is oddly quiet about protecting passengers from the climate change-induced heat wave. Tipping point. Alarm bells sound over President Biden's electability. Is it too late for the party to make a switch? No free pass. Please. Let me turn in my homework late because it's due tonight. Duke's football team pulled off the biggest upset in the school's history. But that wasn't enough for one professor to give the star quarterback an extension on his homework. The professor explains his reason. Welcome to the Ferris Show on television. First tonight, Joe Biden's Hillary Clinton plan isn't working. Clinton, of course, thought she could win by touting a progressive agenda back in 2016 and calling Trump supporters deplorables. In other words, the strategy centered around Democrats' unquestioned belief, and it was a, it was a belief, it was an orthodoxy, that Donald Trump could never win. And we all know how that worked out. Today, new polling shows an incumbent President Biden falling into the same trap. When he started and where he is now. January 2021, favorable 59%, unfavorable 38%. Today, that's flipped. 35% favorable, 58% unfavorable. The so-called death cross from favorable to unfavorable when he went underwater was after the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, and he has never recovered. Does Biden inspire confidence? April 2021, 52%. Yes, more than half of Americans. August 2023, 28%. Basically one in four. Has Biden made the economy worse? August 2021, 45%. Today, 58%. And lastly, when talking to Democrats and Democrat-leaning independents, one in three said the party should renominate Mr. Biden. Just one in three. At the same time in 2010, President Obama was at 79%. It's easy to say there's not a strategy in Biden's reelection plan, but there is a strategy. The same Trump can't really win strategy that Hillary Clinton tried in 2016. And it isn't working any better this time. Hard to believe it, but the economy is even worse now than it was then. Moreover, the White House appears fundamentally to misunderstand how unhappy the American people are or what will make them happy. 
Hypothetical matchups are all within the margin of error. But look at that last number for Nikki Haley. 49%. 49% for Nikki Haley, 43% for Joe Biden. These are national polls, which don't necessarily mean a lot right now. But Nikki Haley is a relatively unknown former U.N. ambassador of no particular note who then went on to be on the board of Boeing. She beats an incumbent president by six points. The power of the presidency, of course, that Mr. Biden enjoys every day is unmatched. They actually play a play, hail to the chief, as you walk up when you are an incumbent president. Air Force One takes you everywhere. You speak behind a podium with the presidential seal. The list goes on and on. Yet Nikki Haley beats him by six points. And take a good look at Nikki Haley's picture, which we do have. We'll even put it on a full screen for you. You wouldn't recognize her in a grocery store. Literally, you would Most people would that, that's the point. Because if we think about those head-to-head matchups, Trump, Pence, DeSantis, are all tied with Biden. They are well-known quantities with serious baggage. Haley isn't. Nikki Haley is a largely unoffensive Republican, and she beats Joe Biden by six points. Nobody knows Haley, and that's the point. President Biden is so toxic and so unexciting to his own base that only a third won him renominated. And essentially, a generic, non-crazy, non-MAGA Republican beats him. It's a bad place to be 18 months out. And this polling proves one more thing. Mr. Biden's best, if not only chance at winning, centers around Republicans nominating Donald Trump and Democrats making the same bet in 2016. They, of course, wanted to face Trump then. And we all know how that worked out. Scott Trainer here, Director of Data Science with our partners at Decision Desk HQ. Democratic strategist Kurt Bardella is along as well. I know what he's going to say. I'm going to start with you. Uh, <laughs> is there anything good in this poll for Joe Biden? I, here's what I would say the best thing for Joe Biden is. Your setup plays it very nicely. If you take all the numbers out, you told me what those numbers were 10 years ago and said, who's the Republican and what is the Republican against him? I'd be like, the Republican's going to be above 50. None of those Republicans are above 50. Even Nikki Haley with a six-point lead is not above 50. And so this is a game, and we're more than a year out from that Joe Biden can still make a comeback. All those numbers aside, that is the best thing for Joe Biden is those are not good numbers, but he is still within range. Yeah, it's, look, it, yeah. it's a long time till next, no, till next November, and I wrote the lead, so I should take responsibility for it. But I think I, <laughs> I, think I, missed, I think I missed one critical error, which is sort of what Scott point, point Scott was making. How does he get a win between now and November? War in Ukraine is a stalemate. Tried canceling student debt. Green New Deal didn't didn't happen. How does he get a win? I think he gets a win by Republicans losing. I think that it's the same strategy we've really seen play out in the 2022 midterms and some of the special elections, that Republicans have a tendency to, rather than focus on the issues they can really win on, the economy, crime, things that the American people are overwhelmingly really concerned about, and there are real legitimate issues going on and failures going on there, they instead get caught in this trap of talking about relitigating the 2020 election. Like, I don't think that doing that is a political winner Right, there's, ab- there's abortion, there's all these other it's- issues they get caught. But here, okay. Just as a political strategist, yeah. if the best you have is hoping that the other side screws up, 
that's 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 not what you want to walk into the casino with, is it? Well, in this case, the Republicans have shown over and over again that they are willing to screw it up. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's like, hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. This is what they do. And if they're going to renominate a guy who's also going to be fighting for his freedom, relitigating things from 2020, that's also not a great message for Republicans when they could have a choice of anybody else, especially someone like a Nikki Haley, who can help neutralize the abortion issue, who can keep the conversation about anything but 2020. That's a much more powerful hand for Republicans to have. And I think it makes the case for why no matter who the nominee is, their vice presidential pick needs to be a woman. Hmm. Look. It's interesting you bring up Nikki Haley's position on abortion because if we look at what she said in the last debate and we look at what some of the ballot issues are going to be uh, in the general election next year, that is going to be a wedge issue. It's a motivating issue for Democrats. We've seen how it affected this Ohio issue, one that was recently out there. We know it's going to be a ballot issue next year. She's staking out a, a more centrist position compared to her Republican counterparts. She's well positioned there. So is Tim Scott. Mike Pence taking the other route. There are a lot of good Republican candidates out there. And again, that CNN SSRS poll proves it. There's a lot of people within striking distance. One thing that people have to, you know, that can change everything is the economy, right? George H.W. Bush learned that. He was at 61, 62% uh, in fall of 1991, similar time. And then he went on, went on to lose. Um, U.S. gas prices soared to their highest seasonal level in a decade, even as the summer driving season comes to a close. That's one one poll. And Kurt, this is the tweet from uh, President Joe Biden just a couple of hours ago. We're canceling all remaining oil and gas leases issued under the previous administration in the Arctic Refuge and protecting more than 15 million acres in the Western Arctic. Oh, I, I understand that works well with his base. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, though, if you're having trouble buying groceries and you're having trouble putting gas in your car, if you're that concerned about polar bears. Yeah, I, I, there's obviously there's some truth to that. Uh, I think that, again, this is an issue that does play well at the Biden base. We talk about some of this polling. The weakness of Biden with his, with the Democratic Party base comes out in this polling. And so, yeah, you kind of need to do some things to get your guys out there first. Like, in order to win the election, no matter what, you got to have your side show up in force and mass. you got to give how them much things to this, show up for. Shoring up the base right now, that's one thing if you're— say, Donald Trump or something is trying to win the nomination. Joe Biden's an incumbent. He's not supposed to have to sure up the base. How much of this, Scott, do we see 66% of Democrats and Democratic-leaning independents don't want him to be the nominee? That's the other way to look at that 33% number. How much do we read this as Joe Biden is worried about, uh, do we have the graphic? Gavin Newsom. Yeah, no, worried about all these, right? You bring up the 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 uh, the reversal of the leases. This week, we've had some of the highest gas prices year to date, right? So that is certainly catering to the base, but you're doing it in the face of high gas prices. That is an issue. I think also, and we saw this in the News Nation poll released earlier this week, we look at the types of candidates these Democratic voters want who say they, hey, we'd like someone else in Joe Biden. It's across the board. Gavin Newsom, it's AOC is in there, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders. The most interesting crosstab to me was is we had Joe Manchin getting a significant amount of Democrats, but also a significant amount of independents and Republicans. So yeah, they say, yeah, history, look, history yeah. doesn't repeat itself. Sometimes it rhymes, though. Yeah. Uh, you could all of a sudden imagine the, that you have much more of a 1992 setup. I know a lot of people are comparing it to Jimmy Carter, uh, but 92 may be a little bit more uh, apt. Gentlemen, good to see you both. Thank you very much. Thank Scott, the, the race is just beginning, as you guys point out. Uh, speaking of the race just beginning, live town hall next Wednesday with Vice President Mike Pence, September 13th, we'll be moderating live from Chicago, 9 p.m. Eastern. And with us uh, will be not only a 
group of Republicans in Chicago, but also in Iowa, where Mike Pence is trying to win the all-crucial evangelical vote. Today, Democrats blocked a vote that would ban federal mask mandates. Senators, Republican senators, say that's proof mask mandates might be coming back. In fact, it's already happening in some blue school districts. The Democrats are going to tell you to wear a mask, and the Democrats are going to tell you how many vaccines to get. Freedom is fundamentally about respecting that you might have a different view than I do. Respecting that, accepting it, and not using government mandates to force our fellow citizens to do exactly what we want them to do. President Biden boarded Air Force One today without a mask, and he heads on the transatlantic flight to Germany. Well, CDC guidelines says he should be wearing one. And yesterday he joked about not wearing a mask after his wife tested positive for the virus. Lord, buddy. We explained to the press, I've been tested again today. I'm clear across the board, but they keep telling me because this has to be 10 days or something, I got to keep wearing it. But don't tell them I didn't have it on when I walked in. Politico took notice, fairly liberal publication. Biden appears to be over COVID protocols, they write. After the first lady's illness, the president has contradicted precautions the White House insists remain in place. And that's, of course, because talking about COVID isn't cool anymore. There's a reason for that, of course. Mask and mandate, mask mandates don't fly politically. Alex Thompson is here, speaking of politics, national political correspondent for our friends at Axios. Uh, how worried is the White House right now about this pickle on COVID? You know, it's so interesting because I think Joe Biden has always had trouble following the COVID protocols that his administration is mandating. So, you know, I, I remember on day one of his administration, he signed an executive order saying, we, you can't, you always have to wear a mask on federal land. That later that night at the Lincoln Memorial, which is federal land, he was wearing a mask. Kamala Harris was not wearing a mask indoors right before they nominated Kentanji Brown-Jackson. The fact of the matter is the Biden administration particularly the principles of the Biden administration, have long struggled with following the very mandates that, and, and protocols that their administration is, is suggesting. Yeah, right. And here he is next to an 81-year-old veteran not wearing a mask on. Interestingly enough, the person next to him um, is. And this goes back to this sort of issue of you know lockdowns and mandates for thee, not for me. Politically, though, as you talk to folks in the White House, how worried are they not necessarily about these optics, but just about COVID in general that was the signature issue for Joe Biden and now that they seem so afraid of? I mean, it's so interesting because I think it shows that they feel like they've lost credibility on the issue. The fact of the matter is that the country is not willing to uh, abide by mask mandates or lockdowns, which were very much welcome, or at least abided by in the early parts of the Biden administration right. and no longer, are a sign that they no longer trust the Biden administration on this. And you know, one thing that really speaks to me that I always remember that even people in the White House say we regret is doing that big independence from COVID event in July 2021. And the fact of the matter is that we weren't independent from COVID as they later reversed themselves. Yeah, it's like the, it was like the old mission mission accomplished banner on the on uh, George W. Bush on the aircraft carrier. I want to get into this polling because of your reporting on the campaign. Uh, Carter and Biden approval both September 7th, a year before the election. Biden today, 40 percent approved, 56 percent disapproved. Carter, 30 percent approved, disapproved, 55 percent. 
I, I contend perhaps the more apt issue here is George H.W. Bush, who was still wide, you know, riding the wave of the Gulf War. 70% approval went on to lose re-election. The polling today, we can all agree, was not great for Joe Biden. The question is, and I asked, I asked the, the panel earlier, but what's their plan to get a win? You're not going to get a win on COVID. You're not going to get a win on gas prices right now. How do you get a win? I would say I think they're going to win because of their opposition. I think, especially in this environment, they would point to the fact, are Joe Biden's approval ratings good? Absolutely not. No one in the White House, if they were put on truth serum, would say we're lucky that we're at 39, 40%. But what they would say is, look at our opposition. Almost all of them are basically in the same position. We live in a polarized America where essentially nobody, no politician especially, has over 50% approval rating. So essentially their plan is Trump. Even if Trump's not the nominee, they're going to say they are Trump in, in different clothing. They are a sheep in, or a wolf in sheep's clothing, rather. Um, or, and they're also going to focus on abortion rights, which obviously worked to their benefit in 2022. This is going to be a campaign about uh, this is going to be a campaign both for both sides, is who do you dislike less? Who is the lesser of the two evils? Yeah, not exactly, shall we say, an inspirational candidate. Um, that's exciting to many people on either side. Uh, Alex, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Good to see you. Car companies think they can be just like Apple, Netflix, your cable provider, even cell phone company. They want you to pay by the month. And I'm not talking about a monthly car payment. They want you to pay for your monthly car payment But once you buy the car, they want you to pay for subscriptions for all the cool features. Take a look. Did you know that it is now possible to equip your BMW with additional features and functions over the air? Here is an example. The BMW High Beam Assistant. It switches to High Beam automatically. Press the button and you will see that you can easily upgrade your BMW. At the Connected Drive Store, you are able to order the High Beam Assistant. That's BMW highlighting subscription features and functions you can add to their luxury vehicles with a cost. Latest bells and whistles for your new car are available, again, like you subscribe to Netflix, Amazon Prime. And automakers are embracing subscription models to unlock everything. You want the latest entertainment options? Pay up. Enhanced hands-free driving? Pay up. Heated seats? Pay up. Theft, defect, theft detection systems. Just pay. So the car company can tell that you're being ripped off. These car subscriptions have an average cost of $135 a month on top of your regular monthly payments. 75% of buyers say they don't want features locked behind subscriptions when they purchase a car. Who are the other 25%? Well, they are the people who are making a lot of purchases at Tom Mayoli's car dealerships, sells luxury cars, and joins us now, uh, all right, and first of all, like, who can blame the car companies? They're just trying to, to make a buck here. What I think is so interesting right. about this, it's being so just do it over the air, otherwise known as things that could come included with your car. How, how much of this is figuring out that the consumer is, uh, shall we say, price conscious? How much of this is that at the same time, the prices of new cars have gone up so much, this is the only way for automakers to sort of raise prices without raising the sticker price. 
Leland, it's an interesting, how you doing? But it's, it's an interesting concept. And, you know, everybody's trying to be Apple. That's what's going on. Everybody's trying to get a subscription and a monthly fee. But the reality of it is, is car payments have gone from, you know, the average of three to $350 a month. They're now seven and $800 a month. The consumer only has so much bandwidth and they're not buying into it. You know, it's some consumers are buying into it, like you said, 25%. But I have to tell you, most of them don't want it. And it's actually, it's actually in, insulting uh, for the consumer because, you know, high beams, you're going to charge me to put high beams on automatically. I mean, these are things that historically were added to the car to get the consumer to come in and buy it. And now we're going to charge them for everything. You know, when you push your power seats, uh, you know, you're, you're going to cost you money. I, I mean, it's 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 kind of bizarre. And, you know, I don't know where the whole thing is going, but I think this all revolves around the whole electrical vehicle market, which we've discussed a thousand times, me and you. You know, it's failing. It's it's crumbling at the seams. It's it it's the biggest political blunder since Vietnam. And, you know, it's it's costing the consumers billions of dollars and the car companies are pushing this all back to the consumer. And I don't know why the White House doesn't see this. You think about average new car and used car prices, used car uh, up to $27,000, new car up to $48,000. Okay, so the car companies are still making money on the on the gas-powered cars. It's the electric cars right. that they're having problems making that money on. Does the subscription-based service make up for that? Is that the idea? Well, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get a subscription-based service where they have monthly income coming in because – you know, as as the market is is trying to push these electric vehicles, which is failing, you know, they're losing revenues. You know, Ford had record profits, you know, every the last two quarters. But when you look at what they lost on the electrical vehicle market, it almost broke even. So they got to come up with a way to make some money. And this is what they're trying to do. And, you know, what they're doing is they're beating the consumer on the head. And and I don't know why the White House and the Biden administration doesn't see any of this, but they think they have this agenda for electric vehicles and it's failing. It's not only failing because it's not a, it, the, the adoption is not there, but the consumers, the cost to the consumers has almost tripled to own an automobile, which is, you know, in some cases a luxury. But it's really a necessity. People need to get around. They need to get their children to school. They need to get to work. And it's a necessity. Yeah. You can't stop. Tra- yeah, you can't stop transportation. And, you know, the cost just continues to go up. Yeah. And gas prices now uh, seasonally, which is sort of how you have to measure things now, are a 10 year high. So if this continues, yes. gonna go to go to record highs. And, and still, as you point out, Tom, the EVs are still sitting there. Good to see you as right. always, my friend. Thank you. Speaking you of money. Yeah. Speaking of money, $113 billion of our money. It bought us a stalemate in Ukraine with no end in sight. Are we getting anything in return for propping up Zelensky? How Zelensky's trying to extort us for more. Plus, what's going on down south? And why does Mississippi suddenly have a monopoly on rising test scores? The lessons as we head into more arguments about masks and education and school boards and parents' rights. What we can learn from Mississippi. that Ukraine is in a position for the long term, not just today, to deter aggression and to defend against it. We need President Putin to understand that he cannot outlast Ukraine. He cannot outlast Ukraine's supporters, that Ukraine is actually going to grow stronger. That is U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken in Ukraine saying that the United States is in it for the long term as if 561 days of war hasn't been enough. 
The U.S. has already committed $113 billion in aid to Ukraine, and more is being offered, as you heard. Blinken announced a new aid package for another billion dollars during that visit. Ukraine's also having a dilemma on when to hold presidential elections. After all, we're told over and over that Ukraine is a democracy. Presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy tweeted, Zelensky's veiled threat to forego democratic elections in Ukraine unless the American people cough up another $135 million in funding represents a new level of extortion of the United States. Our nation is being duped by a leader in Ukraine willing to sacrifice his own nation's credibility as a democracy and a gambit to secure even more money from U.S. taxpayers. This is wrong. With us now, News Nation senior political contributor, Pulitzer Prize-winning columnist George Will, who is out with a column. This is not why we plan the segment, why conservatives should support Ukraine in this morning's Washington Post. I, I guess the question is not why we should support Ukraine, to me, but is why we should not demand real deliverables from Zelensky for our support. Well, first of all, Mr. Ramaswamy for a minute, suggests that Zelensky might cancel the elections. I think that's how people would read that. The elections can't be held in wartime as a matter of law in Ukraine unless the Ukrainian parliament authorizes it. He's asking for help because he needs help. There are 6.2 million Ukrainian refugees who have to be brought into this. The logistics of an election are very difficult. And by the way, democracy in wartime during the Second World War, Britain didn't have a single foreign soldier, enemy soldier on their island. Britain did not hold elections until after VE Day in Europe. All right. So the, I, I understand the precedence. That said, the Biden administration's policy appears to be we're going to support Ukraine until the end and we're going to let Ukraine define what the end is. And depending on how you look at it, territorial integrity would include Crimea. We could be at this for many, 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 many years. It is becoming a problem not only for Democrats, but for Republicans as well, this internal split. Is there ever a time that Republicans should have the right, even though they should support Ukraine, to demand from Zelensky some concessions, some willingness to negotiate with Putin, some willingness to, to acknowledge, as even the Allies did uh, in World War I, that this is going to be a negotiated peace, as it was in, in Korea, as it was in Vietnam, as it was during Desert Storm. Every war ends, and every war ends usually with negotiations, unconditional surrender, which is our template from World War II is quite unusual. But when you talk about concessions, does the United States want to be complicit in rewarding the war crime of waging aggressive war that Putin has done? Now, if that is, if he does not go back and is not pushed back, not out of Crimea, but back to the February 24th, 2022 starting point of this war, he will have won and the United States has an interest in him not winning. Okay. And, and that, that is the case um, that you make. Real quick, I only got about 15 or 20 seconds. What is the chance that this issue divides the Republican Party in a way that will make it uh, perhaps highly untenable for a Republican to win in, in the fall? Depends on who, which Republican wins. We have several Republicans, uh, Pence and uh, Nikki Haley, for example, who are firm in support of this. The Republican Senate contingent is fairly firm in support of this. Uh, it's divided, but it's not divided that much. There are 70 votes against Ukraine in the House among Republicans, but they do not reflect the party, I think. Excellent. Thank Good you, sir. Good to see you. Good to see you. 
turn our attention back home. We talk a lot about how our education system is failing to recover after the pandemic, but in Mississippi, it's a success story. And we're going to get to that success story in a minute, but first the state of play. New York schools are reimagining reading this fall to fix dismal literacy rates, writes the New York Times, from Brooklyn to Bronx, posters encouraging students to skip the tricky word or look at the picture as they read, uh, evidently have been pulled from bulletin boards, but we'll, we'll see if kids keep skipping the tricky words. Portland will fail students by not failing them, is the headline from the Washington Examiner. A policy would give students full credit for assignments when they've been caught cheating and a 50% credit for assignments that are incomplete. So basically there's no penalty for cheating or for being late. Mississippi is using the exact opposite approach. Third grade students who aren't able to read are held back. The governor told us in May, test scores there are skyrocketing. The results speak for themselves. Uh, as you said, in each of the last three years, uh, Mississippi's 10 year growth numbers on reading has been number one in the nation. We're seeing what is in fact truly a Mississippi miracle, and it's because of conservative reforms. Governor Tate Reeves is back with us now. It's good to see you, sir. We appreciate it. Real quick, you you hear about New York, skip the tricky words. You hear about Oregon, uh, no penalty, full credit for assignments when kids are caught cheating. What do you what do you think? Well, I would just simply say that uh, in those two instances, they're doing exactly the opposite of what we are doing now, uh, and they're doing exactly the wrong thing. Uh, w- w- the, what we have proven in Mississippi is that if you set high expectations and then you give uh, teachers and parents and students the resources they need to reach those improved expectations, uh, Mississippians at least do what Mississippians do, and they rise up and they not only meet them, they exceed them. And that's what we're seeing in our state. And I'm, I'm really, really proud of what's happening here. Help us understand why you think. Is it, is it a social issue? Is it is a value system issue? Is it a political issue? Why we are seeing the states that, that, can see, that you know, traditionally have such problems with education that are conservative states now doing so well. The liberal states that spend more and more money on kids Tend to tend to do poor. Where where's the disconnect between money and results? Well, I think that what you've seen in in places like Mississippi is that uh, we have decided that we're going to implement conservative reforms. Uh, we passed a conservative reform education package uh, first in 2012, 2013, and then we worked with our state department of education to ensure that we implemented those reforms in such a way that got the kind of results that we needed and that we wanted. In fact, Leland, I'll tell you, you know, the the fact is that the the old saying that I've heard all my life, which was, thank God for Mississippi, uh, people are still saying it, but it has a very different meaning today. Uh, When you look at fourth grade reading results and, and, and fourth grade math results, the progress that has been made here is truly miraculous. We went from 49th in the nation 49th in the nation in fourth grade reading results 10 years ago to this year we're 21st. We went from 50th in the nation in fourth grade math results. Last year we were 23rd. These are huge movements uh, that are making a difference. And we just reported in the last couple of weeks uh, that we're actually at pre-pandemic, we're above pre-pandemic levels in overall assessments. And there aren't very many states around America that can say that. What did you learn taking Mississippi through the pandemic with great educational success 
uh, that you're going to be applying now that in, invariably there is going to be calls for more pandemic measures or pandemic era measures uh, as it relates to learning and education? There are going to be calls for more uh, pandemic-related response. There's going to be uh, blue state governors in blue states, I think, that, that certainly implement mass mandates, and there are going to be school districts across America that, that implement mass mandates. And, and here's what we learned from the pandemic. And, and by the way, you, sh- you don't have to be real smart to figure this out, but kids do better and learn better when they're in the classroom than if they're anywhere else. You know, as I started this segment, I said that we often cover what's wrong in education. And look, you know, there's a lot of places you can look. You see what's happening in California and the fights with school districts. And then you you gloss over sometimes the really important good stories and the success stories that you guys are having in Mississippi. We, we always love talking about it with you because uh, it's not easy to do what you've done, but the enthusiasm is infectious, Governor. It's good to see you, sir. Well, well, thank you. Success begets success, and our kids are experiencing unprecedented success, and I'm proud of them. Yeah, well, and, and you, they're well served by you, and you make a great point. Um, the, the money uh, by companies investing in Mississippi speaks volumes for what they think is, is coming there. Talk to you soon, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. Yes, sir. Airlines keep getting worse, but Delta has a solution. Can Tom Brady give us all the private jet experience he's used to? I'm excited to share uh, a lot of the lessons I've when learned. We were- Today, President Biden announced his new nominee to head the Federal Aviation Administration, the FAA. And if confirmed, Mike Whitaker will start the job with a, a lot to do. Flying for all of us keeps getting worse. We keep hearing about record heat this summer. It's another scorcher in the Northeast, almost 100 degrees today in D.C. It's been two months since a bunch of passengers and flight attendants got sick when a plane was delayed on the tarmac in triple-digit heat. In fact, some people got so sick that they had to have paramedics roll passenger off the plane on a gurney. It's incredible. And yet nothing from the FAA or Department of Transportation to hold airlines accountable or issue policies to protect the traveling public. Delta doesn't even have a protocol for keeping planes cool and passengers safe when it gets hot. Passengers must board no matter what the temperature, and airlines are not under any regulation to run the air conditioning. Same thing for Southwest and United. The cabin has to be a stifling 90 degrees before American deems it too hot to board, 85 degrees for JetBlue. The airlines union is demanding that all change. They want the government to intervene. They want, quote, acceptable temperature ranges for plane cabins and to require airlines to run the air conditioners. Shocking that they need the government to tell airlines to keep it less than 90 degrees. There are some other issues recently on planes involving bodily functions overflowing on seats and in aisles. We'll spare you the details of those. But fair to say, the FAA still places very little emphasis on the basics of passenger rights. Bill McGee is here, senior fellow for aviation at the American Economic Liberties Project. Bill, I I guess we start at the beginning. This really all comes down to money, right? That the airlines... It's, they have air conditioners and they've got jet engines to run to run air conditioners when we're all on the planes, but it's expensive and they'd rather not. Well, I think you summed it up pretty well. Yes. I mean, the fact is that um, when we're talking about temperatures that are in the high 80s and 90s and even triple digits, as we've seen recently, 
That's simply unacceptable. Yeah, we, we hear it all the time from Secretary Buttigieg about all the things he's going to do for passengers. There's this website uh, that basically tells you, you know, whether or not you have to pay to check a bag and if you can sit next to your family member or something. But uh, as I think about what's happening here, uh, there, there's two competing interests right now because the airlines love saying, and I guess Buttigieg is a way of giving an, an excuse here, because the airlines love to say, hey, look, we don't want to run the engines or both engines when we're on the ground or the auxiliary power unit because it burns more fossil fuels. We're just trying to be carbon neutral, protect the environment here. The airlines get to hide behind that, save money. And I, interestingly enough, when you know it got to be 100 degrees on a Delta flight for three hours, Buttigieg didn't come out and say I, it could mandate it pretty easily. You got to run air conditioners. Well, the bottom line is, uh, again, we need to have some standards here. There has to be a policy. I mean, I've, I've found this time and again. If you request that the airlines do something, if you ask that the airlines do something, they're simply not going to do it. Not not individually, and not as an industry. And so, it's going to be incumbent on DOT, as I said, to set some standards. Um, the, you don't, sound, you don't sound hopeful. No, I, I am, I am uh, more hopeful than I was this time last year, I'll tell you. Um, look, I've been very critical of Secretary Buttigieg uh, in the past. In recent months, he's taken some steps that, that, has, that have impressed me, quite frankly. Um, okay. One thing he did was come out against the Spirit Jet Blue merger. That's without precedent. We haven't had a DOT secretary ever come out against any merger. And I would argue, and I would argue at length, that consolidation within the industry is one of the biggest problems here. It's sort of one of the original sins. Yeah, no, 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 look, no argument here. Um, mm-hmm. it, the, the less choices we have as consumers, the harder it is to pick an airline uh, that's going to do but right by its passengers. It's pretty, it's pretty simple. Um, Delta Airlines has a, has a new uh, person to help with all of this and is evidently going to make flying better for all of us. Somebody who does not fly commercial very often. Uh, Tom Brady is going to uh, now help. You can see him there getting on and off uh, some of the multiple private jets, including the Patriots private jet. Here he is on MSNBC talking. Take a listen. A lot of that teamwork comes from, you know, it, I always believe it always starts at the top. And I've been part of organizations that have great leadership, that, uh, that, that great, give great information to, to the people, that can inspire the, the athletes to maximize their opportunity and their potential. So I think, you know, for me to, to, to live this in a different way and to join a different team is really fun for me. I, I mean, do I, does Delta think we're all a bunch of fools? You know, if this was uh, another another error in the industry, I might make a joke and roll my eyes and say, "Oh well, you know, okay, fine. A football quarterback is going to is going to um, you know help steer an airline." Um, the fact is, uh, I, I'm really quite angry by it. I have to be honest with you. I've been around this industry for 38 years. I worked in the airlines. I've written about the airlines. I've advocated for competition and, and consumers for decades now, since 1985. And we are in an awful state with this industry. You know, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. Uh-huh. Customer service is at an all-time low. Is that my opinion? No, that's not Bill McGee speaking. That's the DOT's own statistics on consumer complaints, delays, cancellations. The big four airlines in this country have an oligopoly, American Delta, United, and Southwest, and they act like an oligopoly. They act in lockstep on fares when they compete with each other, and they, their customer service has never been at a lower level. The idea that we're going to go out, I have nothing against Mr. Brady personally, uh, but the idea that we're going to go out and we're going to get a quarterback, you know, to to, to speak in corporate ease about teamwork and leadership and winning. Look, we know he's a fantastic quarterback and he's won more Super Bowls than any other quarterback. What does that have to do with running an airline? This is a complex industry and we need real experts 
to to turn it around. And 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 as I said, I mean, at another time, it might have been fodder for a cartoon. That might have been kind of funny. Yeah, look, it's, at this like, point, it's not. You know. Yeah. Well, it's also it's insulting to all of us who who sit there through the delays and everything else, and somehow we're we're made to feel better because Tom Brady has told us that flying Delta is a uh, a good thing. All right, uh, Bill, it was good chatting. I really appreciate it, and it's always nice to hear somebody who is once a critic who's willing to come out and call balls and strikes uh, as they see it. Uh, we appreciate that. Thank you. Absolutely. Happy to do that anytime. Thanks for having me on. All right. Pleasure. Thanks, Bill. All right. How about this game-winning quarterback who didn't get a pass from his professor? Maybe there is still hope that student-athletes are actually student-athletes. The other linemen who were in the class, they said they prepared ahead and did it ahead of time. So why didn't the quarterback? Professor Taylor, if you're seeing this, please let me turn in my homework late because it's due tonight. I think it's 12, so it may already be 12. That's Duke's quarterback after pulling off one of the biggest upsets in college football history. Unranked Duke University beat number nine ranked Clemson. It's the first time they've beaten the Tigers since 1989. As you heard, Duke quarterback Riley Leonard needed an extension on his homework. He asked on social media and his professor responded. Hey, Riley, great game last night. Wesley Williams and the other linemen who were in the class, they said they prepared ahead and did it ahead of time, so why didn't the quarterback? So no way, man. No extension. No extension. <laughs> Chris Cuomo is here. I, I don't know. I, I kind of like this professor now. Why? What do you mean, Why? Not treating anybody differently. It's great. It's finally somebody break. who says that. Give no, me it's somebody, a no, break. it's somebody. No, it's somebody who says that just because you're a football player, you're not special. You're just like everybody else, and just because you're the quarterback, you're not any better than the lineman. Come on. Counterpoint. Um, this kid not only uh, did what your school probably wants him to do most, which is win football games for you, uh, but he cared enough about his academics unlike a lot of people playing, to try to get an extension so he could stay on course, whereas a lot of players would just blow it off and let some assistant coach or administrator get them a pass down the road. Uh, I think there's a time to be hard line. I don't know that this is the kid to make your line on. Very impressive counterpoint. I believe the court needs to reconsider uh, this case. Is that what you get with age and wisdom? You get to wear a beard on TV? Yeah, I am the most embarrassing uh, excuse for an Italian man when it comes to facial hair, but I'm going to grow it as bad as it is until Biden goes to it's East not, Palestine. It's not, it's, not, it's not even November yet. Oh, this is, this is no shave for East Palestine. That's right. Until Biden goes right. to East Palestine, I'm going to grow this out. Or until people can see it. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you got some breaking news. I got 30 seconds. What's coming up? Go ahead. Uh, we're going to be covering the breaking news of the manhunt in Pennsylvania. Uh, he was just spotted. What does that mean? Oh. What are the different uh, strategies that they're employing? We have experts on that. And we're going to look at Biden's poll numbers, but why it is that the Democrats won't own what is obvious. And by not doing that, you know, when you don't, when you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And it seems that's the route the Democrats are on. I don't know. Plan to fail. It was almost like coming full circle back to Duke, right? You know, if you don't do your homework on time, I don't know. I've got something. All right. We'll see it. <laughs> it didn't work. We'll see you in a couple minutes, Chris. Uh, coming up, your thoughts on uh, one of our shows, uh, one of the big stories from last night about mask mandates and their return. We'll see you in a minute. 
we heard from a lot of you about our segments and how mask mandates are coming back. Boy, what a different feeling about mask mandates now than a couple of years ago. Buddha Hart on Instagram, I will not be falling for that again. What's the saying? Fool me once. Fran Illo, I think masks would be more effectively worn if more effective if worn properly. That happens to be true. That didn't happen during the pandemic. Also true. And most certainly wouldn't happen if a new mandate went into effect. The mandates are already starting. Obviously, want to hear from you about tonight's